0: Podcast One Production. Hi, I'm Rosie Waterland. This is Mum Says My Memoir Is a Lie. Your friends will find a dead body in the bush and it will be your dad. There's a dead guy! A dead guy! We all stopped what we were doing immediately. It doesn't matter how well you're doing in your game of Pog, when someone says there's a dead guy in the park, you drop what you're doing and you pay attention. It was a weekend at Smurf Village, which meant the shoeless child gangs were out in force. We pretty much spent days off school just roaming around, teasing people who lived in the apartments and playing whatever Rhiannon had dictated was the cool thing to be playing that week. Ayers Rock had finally been removed and replaced with a park, which meant most kids hung out down there and snuck into the bush that ran alongside it. But Rhiannon had decided on Pog that day, so I was sitting with her in our driveway, along with Nina, who didn't own any Pogs, but took whatever chance she could get to escape a house filled with 27 Guatemalan relatives. Since Rhiannon had unusually allowed me to participate in her game in a way that so far had nothing to do with torturing me and or decimating my dignity, I obviously proceeded to self-destruct in a spectacular fashion. I was always so desperate to play with the cool kids, but once I got there, I had very little concept of how to keep my shit together. I started trying to convince the girls to help me produce a play I was writing about homeless kids who survived by stealing cups of noodles from the supermarket. I would obviously be the star playing a beautiful and brilliant Olympic trained gymnast who would run away from home because her stepmother was jealous of her starring role on Saved by the Bell. I would also play any other role that had any kind of dramatic arc or involved any kind of acting talent. I basically just needed the girls to be warm bodies that I could bounce breathtaking monologues off. And just as Rhiannon was starting to question whether getting her hands on my Pog collection was worth having to be in my immediate vicinity for an extended period, we started hearing the screams coming from the park. A bunch of kids came running out of the bush, their hysteria gathering momentum as they got closer to the street. We saw it! We poked it! There's a dead guy in his undies! Kids started coming out of nooks and crannies all over the place. This was big news. Some believed it, some didn't, but all of them wanted to at least look. I mean, it was a dead guy. This may have been the ghetto, but even kids like us hadn't seen anything like that. It was too good to miss, and it was decided that we would all head down together. Rhiannon and I exchanged a knowing glance. We both immediately suspected it was him. I had that sick feeling in my stomach that I got whenever he was around. It was like my sixth sense for dysfunctionality and right now it was telling me what none of the other kids knew. My dad was the dead guy in the bush they were poking with sticks. Everyone ran excitedly towards him. Rhiannon and I walked slowly behind, both taking advantage of the short time we had left in which it could still be someone else. We didn't talk to each other. We didn't look at each other. We just walked silently across the park, following the sounds of the Barefoot Child gang screaming like they were in a haunted funhouse. My stomach got worse the closer we got. By the time we caught up with the gaggle of kids, their excitement had reached fever pitch and my stomach had turned to poison in my body, a poison made of unrelenting toxic butterflies. My sixth sense never lied. I knew it had to be him. Rhiannon and I pushed through the crowd and looked down at the exciting attraction in front of us. The man was on his back in the dirt. He was wearing only underwear and a filthy white T-shirt. No shoes, no possessions. His skin was glowing red from having been roasted in the sun for what looked like hours. His eyes were closed and his body was still. As the kids around us squealed and giggled and dared each other to touch it, the universe for Rhiannon and me shrank to include only us. I swallowed and looked at her, trying not to vomit, the toxic butterflies threatening to crack my body wide open. She looked back at me, tears in her eyes and panic on her face. The universe out there was one where we frustrated each other and fought with each other. She couldn't stand my clueless quest to fit in, which for some reason had involved way too many toilet mishaps. And I couldn't understand her reluctance to upset me or her unwillingness to try reading as a recreational activity. But in this universe, in this moment, we were in sync. As we stood there and locked on each other's eyes, everything around us was a blur and we understood each other better and loved each other more than anyone else ever would." My sixth sense had been right. The man in the dirt was our dad. I wasn't surprised that I had known. I'd had plenty of time to hone the unique sense that caused me to vomit whenever he was nearby. Dad had started turning up at Smurf Village not long after we'd moved in. One morning I woke up before everyone else and headed down to the kitchen, hoping to hack into the chocolate part of the Neapolitan ice cream before anyone noticed. I'm sorry, but why does Neapolitan ice cream even exist? If I can find one person who eats the strawberry part and leaves the vanilla and chocolate parts, then I can guarantee you I found the person responsible for whatever murders are currently unsolved in your town. Just as I was getting to the kitchen, I saw a human-shaped lump stumble over the back fence and fall to the ground with an undignified thud. My stomach churned. I stood at the back door and watched as he lay on the ground, the open bottle of scotch he had somehow managed to hold onto while jumping the fence now leaking all over him. When he realised the bottle had emptied, he started trying to scoop the spilled liquid from his body into his mouth while simultaneously trying and failing to get up off the ground. It was like watching a turtle stuck on its back if the turtle had a drinking problem and was scaring the shit out of his six-year-old daughter. I abandoned the ice cream plan, went back to my room and pretended I was still asleep. Another time I was playing the star in my youth group's nativity play. The star was a part I had invented when some other bitch beat me to the role of Mary. I basically just had to hold up a star made of yellow cardboard for the entire play, but I insisted I do it in the middle of the stage, standing on a chair, while wearing enough glittered clothing to make Liza Minnelli think I was tacky. I was sure it was going to be the defining moment of my acting career so far and probably launch me as a wonderkind prodigy in the local North Ryde theatre scene. Instead, right before the show, someone in the crowd told me a man was walking around saying he was Rosanna's dad. I threw up and spent all my time on stage trying to spot a stumbling drunk man in the audience. My life started to revolve around hoping he wouldn't show up where I was and throwing up whenever he did. "'Rosanna, there's a man here who says he's your dad. "'Um, does he drink a lot, sweetie?' was the kind of sentence that sent my body into total lockdown. My stomach would drop, the toxic butterflies coursing through every inch of my veins. My brain would swirl and my breathing would slow until my body was no longer made of blood but millions of poisonous pairs of wings. Then my stomach would make an executive decision on behalf of my brain, which by that point had usually decided it couldn't deal and was going to sit this one out. The toxic butterflies would be very suddenly and very forcefully ejected which really just means I would vomit violently, usually all over myself, but often on whichever unfortunate person happened to be standing in my pretty impressive projectile range. My dad was unpredictable because he had nowhere to go. He didn't live in Sydney, so when he was there, he would just wander around, drunk and hoping to run into Rhiannon or me. Home for him was actually still in Tumut, exactly where my mum had left him a couple of years before. After she stopped bankrolling his life with her body, he was forced to move in with his dad, who was also an alcoholic. Theirs was a very sad, scotch-soaked bachelor pad, and their shared life was like a Chuck Lorre sitcom directed by Lars von Trier. Since Tumit is hours from Sydney, I honestly don't know how he got to North Ride each time. But I do know that unless my mum let him stay with us, he was essentially homeless while he was there. The few times she did give him a chance, he took it and soaked it in so much alcohol-fueled disaster that it became harder and harder for her to offer him a place to stay. He would forget he had taken Rhiannon and me places and leave us waiting for hours to be picked up. He would collapse in the middle of busy streets, take us to the pub and forget we were there, get on the wrong buses and end up stranded on the outskirts of Sydney in the middle of the night. Just your general, incredibly dysfunctional, alcoholic dad kind of stuff. All of it was pretty difficult for two girls under 10 to deal with. There really is not a lot you can do when your dad insists that you jaywalk through busy traffic, then proceeds to pass out halfway across the road. But for me, none of it brought on the toxic butterflies like the shoplifting. My dad did not like using money to pay for things. It probably had something to do with the fact he generally didn't have money to pay for things. But it wasn't just about desperation or lack of funds with him. I really think he just took a weird Winona-like pleasure in the act itself and would pick up the most bizarre, nonsensical objects just for the sake of it. I can't count the amount of times he was escorted out of shopping centres by security, Rhiannon and I following behind with our heads down, only to find he'd taken a pair of teddy bear glasses or the buttons off a shirt. And he did get caught every time, because the only thing worse than being a shoplifter is being a terrible shoplifter, and the only thing worse than being a terrible shoplifter is being a terrible shoplifter who is also drunk. I didn't quite understand his considerable lack of talent as a thief until I saw him barely able to stand, shoving a shirt inside his pants. We were shopping in Wagga Wagga for the day. My sister and I left to wander around with dad while our grandpa went to do whatever it is that grandpas do. I honestly don't know, getting fitted for beige pants. We walked past the store and dad saw a shirt that he liked. He stumbled inside, pulling me along with him. Rhiannon, who seemed to sense that something illegal was about to go down, made herself scarce so as not to be implicated in any criminal proceedings. But alas, I was still young and naive and not entirely aware of my father's career as the world's worst criminal. He took the shirt off the rack and started to stuff it inside his pants. I'm not sure if he thought he was being incognito, but he reeked of alcohol, was having trouble balancing and had two little girls with him who looked terrified. So he was pretty much in the spotlight from the second he walked in the store. This was not the stealth operation I think he thought it was. Feeling the toxic butterflies about to explode out of my mouth in the form of breakfast. I tried to give my dad an alibi or at least some kind of reasonable motive. I looked around the store and said as loud as I could... So you're just holding on to that shirt, so when we come back later to buy it, nobody will have taken it, right? He looked at me, a little stunned, like his skills were so incredible he couldn't believe that I had just seen him stuff a shirt down his pants. Um, yeah, Zanny, that's it. I don't want anyone to take it, he said. Then we quickly left the store, Rhiannon being careful not to walk alongside us until she could be sure she was no longer near the crime scene. Next stop was the pub where Dad bought a much-needed beer and Rhiannon and I shared a pink lemonade. We needed to wait for Grandpa to finish his important woggle woggle business. Again, I don't know, shopping for World War II books maybe? And it was just as we were sitting patiently in the beer garden that a man came over to our table and started aggressively taking our picture. Thief! Thief! He screamed, aiming the camera in our faces. Dad was too dazed to comprehend what the hell was going on, but I knew... His Wagga crime spree had not gone to plan. Everyone in the pub was looking at us, and this guy just wouldn't stop. He was the owner of the store Dad had taken the shirt from, and he was furious. He kept yelling at us and taking our picture until the police arrived. I've always wondered what happened to that roll of film. What do you do with 26 photos of a confused-looking man and two little girls crying? I threw up, and Dad was put in the back of a paddy wagon. This was well before mobile phones existed outside of movies, so I have no idea how they found Grandpa, but they did. The last thing I remember is sitting in the front of the wagon, looking back through the peephole at Dad, nothing but a sad black outline in the back of a police van. Mum did what she could for Dad when he randomly turned up at Smurf Village, drunk and with nowhere to go. One morning I woke to find him sleeping on a mattress on the floor of my room, with Mum sitting next to him, stroking his face and crying, begging him not to die. I threw up in my bed. After that she would usually leave blankets out for him and let him stay in the garage as long as he promised to be gone before we woke up, because Rosanna gets so stressed. But I always knew when he was around. It was my sixth sense. Barely out of kindergarten, my dad radar was a finely tuned machine. I could determine how close he was by a mere rumble in my belly. The fluttering of a thousand poisonous wings would always tell me, and at that moment they were telling me that he was dead. Which is why I was surprised when he moaned. As Rhiannon and I were standing there, frozen, looking down at our dead dad in the dirt, he moaned. Let me tell you something. Nothing will ever terrify a bunch of kids more than telling them they're standing in front of a dead body only to have that dead body make a sound. For all their tough talk and gangster bravado, I've never seen 25 kids run away faster than they did when my dead dad started moaning in the dirt. He was alive, obviously. Very, very drunk, but alive. Rhiannon and I turned around and ran back up to the house. I was silent. She was hysterical. She told mum, who called an ambulance. When it arrived, it felt like every human being in northwest Sydney came to watch the spectacle. As two paramedics walked him to the gurney, a kid came running out of the bush with a plastic bag. It was dad's stuff. The kids, a lot less terrified now that it was just some drunk guy and not a zombie, chased the ambulance as it drove up the hill and out of our compound. And once it had disappeared into the distance, everyone just kind of dispersed and went back to what they had been doing. The excitement was over. The man in the dirt was gone. I went to the bathroom, put my head over the toilet and pushed every last toxic butterfly out of my stomach. That's that one, Mama. How do you feel listening to that one? That's quite exhausting for me to read, to be honest. Yeah, it's
1: it's very sad, really. Do you remember that day? Yeah. Yeah, I remember ringing the ambulance. I mean, I didn't go over and look at him. Didn't you? They will have him in hospital a few days because he basically had a heat stroke, you know. Oh, Um,
0: well, after they found him in the bush. They had him for a couple of hours and discharged him. Yeah, of course they did. They didn't, just thought he, he was a drunk man. Didn't give him any help. He or was anything. bright red. he's
1: like really fair and freckled. Redhead.
0: Yeah, he's, I've got his complexion. I've never seen anybody know, as red as he that. He had heat stroke. It was so bad. And he, he was where were his clothes? He was literally wearing a white t-shirt and like white and like cotton. You know, like not boxer shorts, but like underwear shorts that dudes wear. I don't know, because he didn't use Where were his clothes? He usually kept his clothes Oh, I don't understand how he ended up there. And we, (laughs) kids were poking him and he wasn't waking up. It was like.
1: Yeah, the dead guy.
0: Yeah, the dead guy. He looked dead. I thought he was dead. Me and Rhiannon thought he was dead. And then he just had that. This kid came running out with a plastic bag that had, I don't know what it had in it, maybe his wallet. I don't know what was in it. But I remember the kid had found the plastic bag filled with his stuff. And then, yeah, and then um, I remember all the kids chasing the ambulance up the hill because it was oh. like this really exciting thing that had happened. And then um. I don't remember you ever telling me what happened after that, but he got well, he got discharged. discharged two hours later. Well, yeah. Same, and then where did same day. Where did he go? Back to us, Yeah, I think so. <sighs> Do you remember how upset we were? Yeah. Or if we were upset? Yeah, yeah. I used to just go really
1: quiet. Rhiannon used to get really upset. Yeah, Rhiannon always was the one to show her emotions a lot more than you. You were just too young. You didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. Or how to deal with it.
0: Was it hard when he started showing up?
1: Okay. Yeah, very hard. It was because he didn't just, like, turn up. It was because your grandfather went over to Perth to visit family and locked him out of the house, basically. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and then they they actually put him in a uh, halfway House. Where? I don't know, in Sydney somewhere. He was in a halfway house, but it was dry. You weren't allowed to drink. Uh, So, of course... He wouldn't have lasted there. He broke the rules and, and he was ejected or, you know, evicted.
0: Yeah, from the halfway house.
1: And your grandfather was... I think, away for a number of weeks.
0: So he just locked him out of the house. Yeah, because he,
1: he didn't trust him to stay in the house. But where was he meant to go? Well, he got him into this halfway house. But he knew he would drink. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, they drank together, for goodness yeah. sake. I mean, they were like big drinkers together, codependent together, those yeah, two. Yeah, they
0: were. <laughs> oh, my God. So Lord, then was Dad homeless? Yep. So if if this was just while Grandpa was in Perth, did all this just happen over a, a
1: Specific period of time. Yeah, yeah. See, it... to
0: me, I just remember it happening all the time.
1: No, no that was because your, your grandfather was away for a number of weeks.
0: I think and... it's because, you know, a lot of my memories from my childhood, this kind of stuff, and they've dominated my memory so much that I feel like this kind of thing was happening all the time. No. Like I don't remember other good things.
1: No, it wasn't happening all the time.
0: Yeah. I remember him turning up at my school a lot made me really nervous. And once my teacher could tell he was drunk and she didn't want to let me go with him and he got really angry.
1: Yeah, he must have turned up without telling me. Yeah, he, he obviously he knew. Would've... He obviously knew where you went to school and he's obviously just taken it upon himself to go there. Yeah, Terrible. he did. Terrible. God. How was it embarrassing that for you? Yeah, very embarrassing.
0: I mean, at Smurf Village, most <laughs> of the people who lived there had pretty – Everybody had a dad like that or, like, someone in their family. Yeah, I know. So we weren't unusual there, but still he was known around Smurf Village as this guy who just randomly turned up all the time, really drunk. Yeah. And, like, when I saw him, when I snuck down to the kitchen early that morning to get ice cream and I saw him climbing the fence into our backyard... We lived in between other houses. yeah. So that means he had climbed into other people's backyards to then get into our do, yard. I don't
1: understand why he'd do that. Maybe he was hoping the, back door, the sliding door would be open. Yeah, I
0: think so. Because oh. you had met Taylor's dad, Phil, and you, Phil, were da- yeah. you were newly dating him and Phil hated Dad. Yeah, and that yeah. made it awkward. That made me really nervous.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it was really hard and... Yeah, Phil didn't like your dad at all. He never did. From the outside though, you can see why. Oh yeah, no, I can understand why. I don't think it was just the fact that he drank, he just didn't like your dad. Did you still love dad
0: then? Yeah. Like romantically?
1: No, not really. I just loved him.
0: Why? He sounds like the
1: worst. I don't know, because there there was so many I don't understand why. No, there were so many fantastic things about your father. Like what? Well, he was very intelligent. He was, like, funny, sensitive, I mean, all those kind of things. Mm. But, yeah, he had a very cruel sort of side to him. Mm. But, yeah, I loved your father. Broke my heart when he died.
0: Yeah. Did he ask, was he trying to get you back when he was coming yeah, to Smurf Village all I think, the
1: time? Yeah, I think he always was hoping that we we'd get back together. He never really gave up hope, even... Till he died. Are
0: you sad? Yeah. You're um. You always get really teary when you talk about Dad dying. Do you want to stop? Yeah, we can stop. Are you all right, Mum? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not teary. I just have um. My eyes are leaking from my snotty head. <laughs> Sorry. That's
1: all right. It was like last week when I was thinking about Kate. Yeah. <laughs> Just a bit of a softie.
0: <laughs> did you know he was, um like, did you think he was going to die soon? Yeah. Because like I wrote in there, I remember waking up and he was in the spare bed in my room and you were crying because he yeah. seemed so sick all the time.
1: No, I think that was, that was downstairs because I had the mattress in um, downstairs in the carport. He couldn't come in the house because of Phil. So you just let him sleep in the garage. Well, Phil and I had got married by that point, you know. So I'm pretty sure we had. Mm. And um, well, I thought that that was the least I could do. Give him put give, put a mattress in the um, garage. Well, where else was he going? Because go? he was just hanging around. Yeah, he was I know. sleeping down there anyway. I mean, I couldn't really bring him into the house. Yeah, because um. His alcoholism had progressed to a point where he was urinating on stuff and, you know, I mean, he just wasn't acceptable, not in front of children and all the rest of it. So, yeah. I mean, at least I could give him, like, a roof over his head. I <laughs> mean, not, not a proper the roof like a house, but yeah.
0: Do you remember when he used to leave us places, me and yeah. Rihanna?
1: Oh, my gosh. I got home one afternoon because I, like, I had a job and I, and I was looking after Couple of little kids. Yeah, and um, so I'd, I came home, and your father had decided to take you out. I, kn- I mean, I knew he was taking you ice skating. Macquarie's, you know, yeah, Macquarie's wasn't very far away. Yeah. And um, anyway, I got home from finishing my work, and he was lying on the lounge snoring, <laughs> out cold. <laughs> and we weren't there. No, you weren't there. And <laughs> Where said, were we? I said, Tony, Tony, I woke him up. <laughs> and where are the girls? <laughs> and he just, he went he left us at Macquarie. He'd forgotten yeah. that he took you ice skating. He left you there and got home and was so drunk. Oh, my God. I do not believe it. We always I mean, knew, though, Seriously, like, I
0: never wanted to cool. go with him by myself anywhere. And this is something that still pisses me off to this day, that you left us alone with him all the time because it was scary and when he like used to take us to Macquarie or whatever I was so nervous the whole time like to the point where I write I would throw up and like you knew if he said oh, I'm just going somewhere or I'm just going to the bathroom, you like you knew he was going to get alcohol and that he probably wouldn't come back. That he'd probably forget.
1: No, I I, I thought he'd be all right with you. No, mum. I wouldn't have. No. I wouldn't have let. No, I wouldn't have let you go with him if I thought that was going to happen. Come on, Rosie. But you did. Yeah. And it always happened. It didn't always happen. And That's, like we were always that was the only incident I am aware of where he left you somewhere. And we were always getting kicked out of Macquarie because he stole stuff. I did. I wasn't aware of that. That was so embarrassing. And he thought
0: he was so stealth. And but he you wasn't. girls
1: never told me about that, didn't we? You might have mentioned at once that you had to go in with your dad in a police paddy wagon or something. That was in Wagga I that was in Wagga, Wagga. I don't know. But at
0: Macquarie, Macquarie Centre never called the police, but it was always security that kicked us out. And he always stole the randomest stuff and it was always for you. It was always presents for you. It was like little boxes or those glasses for yeah, I your think teddy I've still got those boxes. Or, like he would always take stuff. And then I remember once it was like your birthday or Mother's Day or something. And he said he was taking us shopping to get you presents. And he took us to the shop and made me and Rhiannon each pick what we wanted to get you and then told us to go wait outside because uh-huh. he, he was going to steal it. But he, he did it properly that time because I remember we gave you those presents. I gave you that little shoe that had smelt like purée, and you still have it. Dad <laughs> stole that uh-huh. from Aquarius Centre. Mm. Did he ever get busted when you were with him? No. No. I'm surprised that he didn't do it around you.
1: Yeah, I mean, he did. Yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I first met him, we we used to go to Woolworths at Crow's Nest. We, yeah. Because we met in a share house in, in Falcon Street. Yeah. And we used to go to Woolworths there in, in Falcon Street. <laughs> and we decided, we used to go for a picnic a fair bit. Yeah. On picnics and so forth. And we'd always take smoked chicken. <laughs> <laughs> he pinched it he had this big grey jacket. Yeah. This huge jacket. Because yeah. he was big. He was yeah, chubby he was man a anyway. Dude. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, he used to he would put it on the inside of the jacket. And a kept, whole chicken. Yeah. Well, <laughs> smoked chickens, whole smoked chickens aren't that, yeah, aren't yeah, that yeah, big. Yeah. But, you know, he'd actually put it under his arm and hold it there and actually walk out with his smoked Chicken and all these little things of lumpfish roe or caviar, you know, this little so ones romantic. in the dark. Yeah, so yeah, he did that. Yeah, he did that once. Once. As if No, he as did.
0: if he didn't do it all the time. No, all right. He, Liar.
1: Did. he took he took a smoke chook or two from woolies there. <laughs> um Oh no. So you right. knew he did that. Yeah, I knew he'd done that. That was food. I guess.
0: He used to do actually. Whenever we went to Woolworths, um, he would steal caviar for Rihanna because Rihanna really loved it, and pate for me because I really loved pate. Yeah. But I didn't know. I don't remember. Think. I don't think I knew he was stealing it then. But he definitely
1: couldn't have afforded it. The little luxuries. Yeah. That he couldn't afford. Yeah,
0: that's what I never understood about Tumut. Also, what you I didn't still really don't do understand.
1: So much. There, <laughs> yes, though. he did, mum. He did,
0: Mum. He did. You don't think that he did, but he
1: did. I mean,
0: you, me, and Rhiannon used to go stay with him in the school holidays. Isn't there an
1: expression about pooping in your own nest? Don't do it, Mum.
0: I'm trying to tell you something really serious. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You used to send us there for the school holidays, which I still cannot believe.
1: No, I didn't do it that often. I'm sorry. You did though. No, I didn't. Well, and, then I went, and you know that I said you weren't allowed to go there when I found out what happened to your grandfather, but anyway. Some of the most vivid and traumatic memories of my
0: childhood are from having to go and stay with him and Grandpa well, in the school holidays. Well, you
1: never said anything to and me. I, I was not aware until I was informed. I didn't think he'd be like that, my God.
0: He was sleeping in our garage urinating on himself and you sent us to stay with him by ourselves.
1: Well, he told me that he he'd, he'd stopped drinking. He always used to tell me that. And I believed him. And I and I had faith in him and I gave him another chance. There's well, nothing wrong with giving someone another chance. No,
0: that's true. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. Anyway, my point was I never understood the people in Tumut either. Like it was such a small town. He was known as the town drunk and like the six, town 6, like 6,000 people as the something. town like scary man. I think he really scared people. And we would go there and be around like Main Street shops with him, and go to the pub with him and stuff. And nobody ever did anything. There was like these two little girls with this man who could barely stand up, and he used to collapse on the people, street sometimes. No, he actually collapsed on the street. Sometimes. People
1: do not want to get involved. It's like they blind. They can't. That. They can't see it. They just ignore it. That's I what it's like. I cannot believe. That. Plus, the trouble is, your grandfather was an upstanding citizen. In places like that, school teachers, especially principals, yeah. police are really high up in the community. Yeah. And they wouldn't dare have said anything about your father.
0: Because I remember once he, I wanted this toy from the toy shop, this stuffed kangaroo, and he stole it for me. And the guy caught him, the shop owner caught him. And he said, oh, come on, Tony, not while the girls are here. So he, like, knew that we came to visit him and he knew that Dad was, like, this, like this. And rather than, like, calling the police or anything, he was just like, mate, don't do this in front of your daughters. Like, I just can't believe that everyone knew who he was and everyone knew how drunk he was all the time. And they just, like, everyone just left us
1: with him. Mm. It's messed up, I think. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, I did put a stop to it. Yeah, well. I'd say it was too late. Yeah,
0: that was pretty bad when that happened, actually. That comes later in the book.
1: Okay. You look a bit exhausted.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do feel a bit exhausted after it. this one, thinking actually. About it, yeah. yeah, stresses me out. I know now that it was anxiety at the time I, d- I didn't it, understand what it was. Is it almost
1: like you feel like you're back there when just when you're talking about it?
0: Um, yeah, well, I mean, that was the problem with writing the book because I have PTSD. And, you know, I've been seeing the same psychiatrist now for 14 years. So, like, I've... a long time. Yeah, I know. So, I've, you know, been dealing with it since I was 17. But writing the book was hard and talking about it is hard because you have to embrace um, very vivid memories that I've worked really hard to not, over like, take over my brain. It's like, it can be quite difficult. Because I have problems with, like, um, uh, I get, like, flashbacks and I get like very vivid, um, intrusive memories that affect my anxiety level. Like certain things remind me of stuff and mostly it's fine now, but when I actually am, when I was writing it and when I talk about it now, it's like, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. Mm. Yeah. It's tiring. Yeah. Thanks for doing this.
1: Okay. <laughs> Mum decided it's
0: done. Yeah, I was like, is Mum going? <laughs> In the next episode Can we talk about the Mormonism please? Yeah. Why were we Mormons? Because I wanted to- What? No, happened? you know why? Did they just knock on the door? Yes, is that what You happened? know why?
1: Why? Because they used to mow my lawn. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> what? Why do they mow your they, lawn? They do all these odd jobs for you. Are you serious? Yeah, I, I joined because I wanted my lawn mowed. <laughs> <laughs> That's genius of them and
0: of you. But then we got sucked into it. Mum says my memoir is a lie is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Recording assistance by Felix Bray. Audio production by Nick Slater. Executive producer is Jamie Show. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.